So on March 27th, 2018, Michael Hunter stepped out of the kitchen at Antler Kitchen and Bar in downtown Toronto, a downtown Toronto restaurant, which he co-owns, wearing an apron and wielding the hind leg of a deer and a carving knife. At the front window, Hunter, a chef, had improvised a makeshift butcher's table, a cherry-colored cutting board atop a table ordinarily reserved for diners. Then, cool and methodical, Hunter proceeded to slice up the slab of meat right in front of the dozen or so vegan activists protesting outside. That is from The Guardian. And then fear broke out and panic. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 177, titled Killer Cuisine. I am Tim Chelsvik. I am Matt Drury. And, and we're two killers. <laughs> we're, I was actually going to say we're two terrible hunters. <laughs> we're PETA-endorsed hunters. Yeah, that's right. And no problem with our hunting tactics. Yeah, yeah, man. Last night we were out, Scott and I, and we were sitting a blind that, that uh, we put up. It's a soft side 360. It's a muddy, so uh-huh. it's not scent proof. And But I love these blinds. It's what I killed two us two out of last year. And so we, we haven't sat it yet. This we went to it the other day and tried to sit to it. We were getting the deer were blowing on our way in. The wind was marginal, so I was like, sure. "All right, let's back out." So we had a south wind, which is what we need. And this particular food plot, it's biologic, uh, uh, non-typical clover. Okay. We frost seeded it, I think, in February. And <clears throat> I have a the deer that I'm after, too short. He hit this. He's always on the south end of the of, of the farm, okay. and he hit this food plot at about seven thirty on September 27th. So, you know, just a week or so ago. And if I look back, you know, pull the Mark and Terry and look back to last year's history with him, he was there October the 6th, October the 7th, like at, at time. right there at dark, right at dark, okay. kind of walking through there. So I thought, all right, here's my chance. South wind, which is what we need. Let's crash in. We get in there super early because I, I wanted to make, take no chances we get in there super early. It was 3.30, mm-hmm. and we're sitting there. All's good. About quarter to five, deer start uh, coming out. A few does start coming yeah. out. All of a sudden, you know, you could tell, like, no, no, nothing was paying attention to us. And then all of a sudden, one looked up and looked right in the, the blind. Worst like, feeling wait, in wait the a world. second. These windows are down. Like, they're not, you Something's got. Something's different. Because the way that soft side is, you got to zip the windows down and be prepared for your shot. So, yeah. the window configuration, you need to put it how you are going to shoot out of it. Because you can't be zipping stuff, obviously, when the deer are out. So, she looks, finally, you know, she neck bobs us the whole time, finally gets out of there. And then, um, the rest of the night sucked after that. Like we just kept hearing deer blowing in the woods and blowing was all the over. Was the wind changing up on I, you? I think it was a. I think it was a little bit of a, a little swirl to it. And I think more than anything, like we're on a little bit of a hump. And I think our thermals may have been d- d- sinking. sinking down yeah. and sinking down into this creek bed that's into the it's timber. Well, the worst part about it, we heard this huge. You know, it was like it was obviously different than everything else that was blowing at us. Yeah, not it was no. it was a mature buck. I have no idea. Hopefully, it wasn't him, but it sounded like a horse in there, and I was like, "Oh my!" Your God. heart just sinks, dude. I'm like, this, this night's that. over. And it, it, we sat there the rest of the night. You never know, obviously. Yeah. But uh, deer came out. You know, finally, all the does popped out. A couple hundred, you know, maybe a hundred. 150 yards above us and some down below us. And then the only thing that came close was a little three-year-old, you know, eight point and a doe uh-huh. popped out below us there. And 
it just sucked. It was a, one of those nights where I'm like, man, I just burned this spot. I know I burned it and, and I'd love to go back in there tonight, but it's not happening. Like right. I, the wind's even worse tonight than it was last yeah, night. Yeah. Be smart. Yeah. So mm. it, it just sucks because after early October, this deer, I don't get pictures of him on the farm. So I, I know things can change, but if yeah. last year or the year before is any indication, it's like my chance was early October. And of course we had a family wedding dur during that huge cold front. So mm -hmm. none of us were hunting. Mark had a giant deer in Iowa that walked past his blind. I had a, a, one of our, not my main shooter, but one of my big shooters walked daylight. Dad had all kinds of deer walking day, you know, with these cell cameras, all of a sudden we're so zeroed in <laughs> it's almost it's like it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because you're like oh man i'm missing it i miss it. you're constantly staring at this thing you're not really yeah. present with what you're doing so also people don't get married in october uh, or november and this dude's a huge <laughs> hunter he's like my cousin Waylon. i just uh, i don't know i think he must have been convinced otherwise <laughs> i don't know what the hell he was whose thinking. idea was that yeah so anyways well, I, I tagged a couple fall turkeys which is stud. fun so to do. cook out here this week we should. I was making turkey burgers. I, I posted a tip in deer. It's launching today, which is Tuesday. Um, a tip on removing the tendons out of those turkey legs. Because a lot of guys just don't use the meat yeah. from the legs because they're full of tendons. But there's a tip in deer cast. So go look in deer cast and I'll show you how. You know, that's a pretty good segue to the guests we have. I know we got some homework we got to do here, but we should bring in our guests of the day because that's a perfect segue. Let's do it. Okay. So on March 27th, 2018, Michael Hunter stepped out of the kitchen at Antler Kitchen and Bar in downtown Toronto, a downtown Toronto restaurant, which he cones wearing an apron and wielding the hind leg of a deer and a carving knife. At the front window, Hunter, a chef, had improvised a makeshift butcher's table, a cherry-colored cutting board atop a table ordinarily reserved for diners, then cool and methodical. Hunter proceeded to slice up the slab of meat right in front of the dozen or so vegan activists protesting outside. That is from The Guardian. And then fear broke out and panic. So we got... This man the, is a monster. The man, the myth, and the legend with <laughs> us today, right? We got Chef Michael Hunter. What's up, man? How's it going? Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. So uh, you are now a legend, good in <laughs> yeah. some people's minds, bad in a He's lot of others. Infamous. <laughs> infamous, yeah, that's right. How do you feel about that? <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, man. Like you read about these articles where uh, people and stories go viral. Uh, and when it happens to you, it's it's uh, just pretty weird feeling all around. I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not used to, uh, you know, the fame and, and stuff like that. So. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just kind of funny at this point. But. Has it been a net positive for you? You know, I, I would like to think so. Um, you know, we were always a popular restaurant. Uh, when we first opened, we, you know, we do, we do things a little different, um, at Antler, you know, we were a different kind of restaurant, especially for, uh, Toronto. You know, we only serve, uh, game meats, wild fish, you know, wild mushrooms, everything wild we want to, uh, we want to celebrate. So we were already kind of out there um, and it went really well. You know, I think we, we captured some kind of a niche market um, and, and people were really open to trying new things. And, and we made some, you know, top 10 new restaurant lists and all these things. So, um, you know, when the protest just happened, um, you know, that much PR, I think is really just, you know, and media attention is, is good for, you know, anybody. So, you know, we, we did get busier, but I, I don't know if it was really worth the stress and the headache and, you know, even just the fear they inflicted on us with what uh, these people were doing online and saying about our families and 
you know, the, the, the hurt they were promising us and <laughs> stuff. So, but they, they seem to be so committed to peacefulness, which is <laughs> oh, a strange yeah, yeah. irony. On, on paper, you know, they're, they're loving uh, activists. But, uh, to be you know, when the, the reality was, you know, if we didn't have the police there, uh, they'd bang on our windows, uh, you know, scream horrible profanities at our guests uh, with a <laughs> megaphone uh, and really, you know, just, just disrupt the peace. Um yeah, it's pretty, the police being there. So. It's pretty sad. And, and uh, you know, I didn't really want to go down the path of any more kind of political because uh, we got hammered <laughs> after our last uh, political really? uh, podcast, which was the Don Jr. podcast. So I'm not going to go down that path. But it is crazy, like the, the p- peacefulness and the lovey hippie, you know, all it's out the window. It, it really, you know, basically when you don't see eye to eye with their side, it just it goes pretty crazy and pretty quickly. And so I think the point is what that there are real consequences for hunters. You know, you're a hunter, you're an outdoors person, and here you are trying to share your love of the outdoors with people and, and just show them what wild game can taste like. And, you know, you're vilified for it. And that's a real thing, man. That, that can happen to anybody. Well, the, the- they, uh, I just want to add, like, they, they protested my restaurant once a week uh, for 11 months. It wasn't just a one-time, Jeez. like, the same group of people every week for 11 months until they they just stopped coming one day out of the blue they just they moved on to the next cause they realized that they lost and they just picked on another restaurant what was the what was the demo of the people that were coming to protest was there a profile that you could discern not really you know they 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 had a they already had a vegan activist group so what happened was um we, we, you know, try and get people's attention with our chalkboard sign on the street. We're a tiny little place. Um, and we have like an A-frame chalkboard sign. One of our staff members wrote, venison is the new kale on the chalkboard sign, you know, just promoting, (laughs) promoting deer. Um, and, uh, a cyclist rode by who was part of this vegan activist group and just took, uh, took offense to it and, uh, organized a protest and, (laughs) In the beginning, you know, we tried to we tried to talk to them. They they sent us an email with like a list of their demands, and they wanted <laughs> us to change our whole menu over, um, which is just bizarre. Um, and you know, we we wrote them back and tried to educate them about who we are, you know. And and we we already had a couple of vegetarian dishes on the menu. We actually had one vegan uh, wild rice dish on the menu um, because we you know we welcome everybody. You know, yeah. I don't care what your diet is, and and you know if if you're a vegan. Uh, I'd love to try and make you something, you know, delicious with wild mushrooms, you know, or wild leeks or some, you know, wild ginger, things that we get in, um, you know, and, and it's for me, it's a challenge because it's not what I like to eat personally. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's a challenge to play with that stuff and make it taste good because, you know, you know, butter and everything makes it taste better. So, you know, not being able to use it's a challenge. So. Um, but you know, whether it's a halal diet or a kosher diet or a vegan diet, you know, we welcome everybody at the restaurant. So it was just really uh, hard to understand why they were coming after us in the beginning. So a salad made from sustainably sourced deer sheds. Yeah. Bon <laughs> so, appetit. so, so at the end, you know, 11 months in, you know, they just kind of gave up, you know, did you see by that point, did you see any negative effect 11 months later f- f- from, from all of this? Or is it just like, Hey, you know, b- well, back to business yeah. as usual. Yeah, you know, it's kind of back to business as usual. Um, the, the negative stuff is really just during during it all, you know, mm-hmm. with 
with all the media attention, you know, their protest size grew. So they went from, you know, a dozen activists and, you know, a couple of weeks, there was a hundred people outside. Um, And really, you know, the, the stuff, you know, they were, you know, searching through my social media and getting pictures of my kids, my wife, you know, putting these things online and then attacking them. Um, That was really, you know, the scary part. Um, And, you know, we had to, we hired our own security for the restaurant, um, Mm. you know, that that was trained and, and, you know, licensed to physically remove people if they would come in the restaurant and stuff like that so because the police couldn't always be there so and and there's a cost there's that's a i'm sure very expensive cost to have a security detail like that and we're a small little family place it's myself and and my business partner jody so you know him and i were um you know pretty pretty scared and just we didn't know how we didn't know how to deal with this you know and it was uh in the beginning we thought you know i thought i screwed us because you know, the first weekend that this happened, um, these people shared that video of me in the window, you know, to all the vegan websites <laughs> online and their Perfect. Facebook groups and all these things. So we were getting hounded from across the world, uh, people giving us negative reviews, horrible, saying things, horrible things about the restaurant all over mm-hmm. Google, Facebook, anywhere where you could rate our restaurant, people were trashing us. So, um, you know, we thought we, we, you know, shot ourselves in the foot until, you know, the mainstream media picked it up and actually was on our side. Yeah. Um, you know, all the positive support, you know, started pouring into the restaurant. Good, good deal. Well, I, you know, I don't want to belabor that, 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 that just gives a little bit of the backstory, but you, you know, mm-hmm. you have some pretty cool stuff that you, you're cooking up right now. See what I did there, Tim. <laughs> and uh, I want to get into that. So, so we have some shout outs. I want to get all, you know, get through all that after the question of the day. Like let's move that back to the end of the show today and let's kind of get into why we have Michael on. Yeah, Matt. Why do we have Michael? Well, okay. So, <laughs> so Michael Hunter, he's uh, got a new book out, right? And so we're trying to help people have a better tasting meal at the end of their hunt. That's which good. Th- th- this is good because it's something I struggle with as well. My wife doesn't, she doesn't, uh, you know, she does most of the cooking at our house and she's not really great at cooking venison. And I'm trying to learn so that I can kind of move us forward with eating it more, yeah. you know? Well, I, I actually thought about you last night because I uh, fixed up the, uh, some of the elk from the elk you shot in 2017. Yeah. I yeah. I made tacos out of yeah. out of one. I, I took a roast out and I ground it up and made tacos out of it. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And I kind of felt bad because you keep missing out on all, all these great dishes. I, I, we we kept making it and just kept failing at making it. Honestly, Michael, like I I just I, you know we killed this bull in Utah and they fed primarily on sage grass, I guess, and it, it just it, it just had a very strong odor when you cooked it and had a really strong sagey taste to it. And for the life of me, I could not get it to get that to come out of it. And right. finally, like, you know, she just wasn't making it anymore. And, and, and I kept struggling to figure out how to make it taste right. And so uh, I ended up giving Tim the rest of what I had left because I'm like, I don't want it to go a waste. Yeah. This is so good. I know it's so good. I'm just a crappy cook, frankly. And, and, I, and I don't think you're alone. So, so Michael, what right. are some of the common mistakes? Like what are guys doing wrong with wild game that keeps turning people off to it? Well, um, you know, there's there's a whole slew of things like uh, that you know we can touch on. You know, like you said, the, the elk's diet, so it's eating sage grass. That's its whole diet. So it's it's going to be a real pungent kind of sage bitterness kind of to the meat. So one of the things specifically with that is uh, you know lots of spice on it to try and mask it. 
Um, you can brine the meat in, uh, in a salt water solution. So, um, you know, 3% salt to water is a good ratio. Um, and you can do it by weight or, you know, like a teaspoon to like, uh, you know, a couple, like a, what is it? A couple teaspoons to like a quart of water. Iodized um, or non-iodized? Does it matter? Uh, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, uh, I use kosher salt at home. Uh, it just doesn't have that iodine in it. It's, it's a less, uh, like salty taste to it. Okay. Uh, so kosher salt, sea salt stuff that I use at home, but iodized certainly, certainly works. Um, and you know, if you've, you've got a backstrap, you can soak that backstrap in that, um, brine overnight, it'll take away a lot of that, uh, that, that saginess to it. Um, another thing that, that will, will help with that, you know, saginess is, is don't, um, overcook it. So if you're, if you're doing a backstrap steak, you know, try and keep it medium rare. Um, you know, as long as you've treated that animal and the meat right and got it into the cooler as quick as you can. You know, it's totally safe to eat, you know, uh, you know, under well done. Um, the more you cook something, um, you really get that irony, livery uh, uh, taste to the meat because it doesn't really have, you know, a lot of fat like like yeah. like beef does. Right. So, um, you know, those are the easy ones, you know, brining, spicing, um, you know, don't uh, overcook um, those cuts. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, like you said, you did tacos. So you ground it up, use lots of spice. That's, that's a great way to kind of mask, mask the flavor. Um, the other thing too is, is, is the tougher cuts. Um, you know, a good stew really takes away that flavor because it's cooking for so many hours with so many other things, you really will lose that, the, the gamey saginess to it. So, um, and those, those are actually my, my favorite cuts and, and why I wanted to, uh, to write my cookbook that's in the background here um, is, is because, you know, I, I was, I got into hunting late like i was in my late teens early 20s um and i was already been a chef so i've been working in kitchens you know growing up as a as a kid uh all through high school and then you know i was i went turkey hunting with guys and and you mentioned the turkey legs they didn't even use them they fed under the dogs or threw them out or they're just like oh those are tough you can't eat them and i'm looking at it as from the chef perspective being like hey man like that's like a pound per leg like that's that's so much on there you know let me show you how to how to cook those so you can you can use it and um and that's really the fun part for me is you know introducing guys you know to the cooking side of 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 wild game and and um you know they 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 show me the hunting stuff that that i need to learn Mm -hmm. and i help them how to cook it so uh, it's a good trade one of the things i i struggle with is i'm never sure like if if i'm gonna you know butterfly a backstrap and throw it in the in the in the frying pan Mm -hmm. um i like i usually throw in bacon fat to kind of to to grease the pan to keep it from sticking to keep it from burning is that Mm -hmm. is that a best practice or is there some other way of no nothing nothing wrong with that absolutely you know and it's great like you said you're you're keeping that bacon fat instead of throwing it out so uh it tastes great um the 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 only thing is is to uh, you know you want your hood fan in the kitchen you know on high uh because the 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 real best way to to cook a steak is really high heat um Uh. you know and quickly so, you know, what I like to do is get the, you know, your cast iron pan, just like pretty ripping hot, mm-hmm. um, add your oil or, or your, uh, your bacon fat, whatever it is you're using. Um, and then season the meat prior to putting it in the pan. So salt, pepper, you know, any spice rub you want, okay. um, and then put it in your pan and, you know, use tongs. So you don't splash yourself with hot oil or whatever. 
um, and then just kind of quickly sear all the sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, depending how thick that steak is, you know, it's, it, it could be done in just a couple of minutes. You know, you don't really need to, to cook it very long. If it's a thicker, bigger piece, um, you can put it in the oven from there. But it's, it's good just to sear it quickly on the outside, kind of get, get a little crust on the outside. Okay. Um, there's a couple of different theories about it. Like you, you basically you're sealing in all the juices kind of thing. Um, sear it on all sides and then um, if it's thicker and you just want to heat it through you can then put that pan into the oven you know at 300 like a lower temperature like low and slow at that point okay just to kind of warm it up through it and then you'll have the most tender steak um you know you've ever had so hungry right now recalling all that (laughs) hey you know that elk i gave you tim no no what i would say is do you mind cooking it and bringing (laughs) it (laughs) you try this out and then invite me over yeah that's right yeah let's cook it out here at the the studio i feel like i'm leasing the meat somehow (laughs) that's right least to own (laughs) so are are you taking the, the same pan that you just seared it in and putting that pan in the oven yeah, yeah, you can do that. And that, like, if it's really, really hot and you're worried about it kind of burning on the bottom, you can you can put it onto a little tray or something okay. and, and put it in. Um, but yeah, like even for like a turkey and stuff like that, it's it's good to really start it start at high heat um, and then and then turn it down uh, and then do it low and slow. And, and the sort of the theory behind that is that you you seal in kind of the juices on the outside. Okay. Um, so and there's a few like there's and then there's something that people are doing right now that's it's kind of new. It's called like the reverse sear. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, where uh-uh. uh, you actually do the opposite. So you put it in the oven at like 200 degrees or like really really low, okay. and you basically just warm that meat up, uh, and then from there you put it into like a really hot frying pan and just crisp up the outside at the end hmm. um, to kind of seal it, seal in the juices. And that that's kind of another thing that's uh, that people are doing these days. It's kind of. Neat. How how much how much of a difference does it make getting the meat out of the fridge and letting it mm-hmm. rest before yeah. you start cooking? Is that does that because it, it, it's hard? Like as, as I've got a couple kids, a wife. Yeah. When I'm making a meal, it's like I gotta just yeah. pull something out of the fridge and get going. Yeah, that's not huge. Like uh, you know, it makes a little bit of a difference. You know, if uh, mm-hmm. if you want to eat it rare um it's it's good to do that just so it won't be cold in the middle like if you leave it out on the counter for a couple hours and bring it to room temperature when Uh you when you hit that in a frying pan and you're trying to eat it rare um it's just not going to be stone cold in the middle which is a good thing um but that's really like if you're if you just want to eat it really rare you know do that or you know like the chicago blue uh, black and blue steak kind of deal um that way it's just not cold in the middle okay Um, other than that, you know, I, I would just say like the, the biggest thing for me when I'm thawing wild game is to do it in the fridge. So, you know, just try and, you know, pull that stuff out of the freezer, your deep freezer, you know, two or, you know, two, even three days before you want it and stick it in the fridge and just let it slowly thaw. Uh, I find you don't get that crazy bleed out as much that you do if you just pull it out, stick it on a counter overnight or something. Um, uh, you know, a slower thaw, it, it, it's better for the meat to, you know, it's sort of integrity, you could say, um, I find anyway. I, it, my, my thinking behind that has always been just the, the jaggedness of the ice crystals in the, like the, the, the cellular water that's in the meat mm-hmm. that yeah. like when it turns to ice, it just mm-hmm. goes jagged Expand. and it destroys yeah. all those cell membranes. So you've like mm-hmm. when you thaw and then freeze and then if maybe you got to toss it back in the freezer, that just, that can't be good for me. But it sounds like you're saying like, kind of go over the long term and gradually thaw this stuff out 
Yeah. And I find too, like you just don't get as much blood in the bag or blood, you know, if you wrap it in paper, um, I, I see a, 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 you know, a bit of a difference if I do it in the fridge slowly, it doesn't seem to bleed out as much. Um, and I, I find you end up with like a juicier, uh, piece of meat at the end. Do you want to open it out of the package and let it sit in the open air of the fridge or does that even matter? Not, I don't think that matters. You know, it, with game birds, if you're keeping the skin on, um, airing them out in the, in the, in the fridge is, is, uh, is a cool way to get the skin crispier because huh. that kind of dries out the, um, you know, the, the, the moisture that's in the skin. Okay. Like if you're doing ducks or pheasant or whatever, and you've, you've taken the time to pluck it. Um, you know, overnight in the fridge, uncovered um, is a neat little trick. Can you still brine a bird that is, you know, say, you kill a turkey and you pluck yeah. it? Can you brine? Yeah. Like, will the salt transfer through the skin and still do its thing yeah. to the muscle? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Huh. Yeah, for sure. I think we should just have him in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've moved past him. <laughs> I'm on to Michael now. <laughs> well, we got an idea. Why don't you come down? We'll see well, if you really know can, what you're talking we about. We can hunt too. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Well, we got to go get the meat first. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. I could kill a doe, but. <laughs> now, what, what, what about that, Michael? I mean, the, the conventional wisdom has always been does are typically better eating. The younger, the better. Yeah. The smaller, the better. Do you find yeah. that to be the case? Um, definitely like, you know, everybody wants the big buck and, you know, the huge antlers and stuff like that, but big bucks in the rut, in the rut, you know, they're, they stink, you know, <laughs> their hormones are flaring and, um, That's why you know, shoot. so, uh, you know, I'm a meat hunter, like, uh, you know, if I've got a huge buck on my camera, you know, I'll, you know, hopefully I'll see him, but, um, you know, our deer population where I live in Ontario is, is, you know, not quite the same as some places in the States. Um, you know, I don't know about where you guys are, but, you know, like Mississippi has like 4 million deer estimated or something like that. And in, in, in Ontario where I live, it's like 400,000. So, yeah. you know, I, I see a, you know, a, a little spiker or a four point or whatever, like, I, I, you know, I'm most of the time going to shoot it. You sure, know, I'm not yeah. going to lie because yeah. I just want meat in the freezer. But, uh, you know, if, if I've got a big target buck, you know, uh, I'll hold out for him sometimes. But, uh, you know, um, I, you know, I, I don't think there's any shame in, in filling the freezer. No, it's all relative to your situation and scenario yeah. and what, where you hunt. Totally. And, I mean, it's totally yeah. a relative thing and it's something that is special to each person. You, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So that, that, that definitely, I mean, I wouldn't take it away from anybody, <laughs> no matter what you're shooting, if that's what you want to shoot, exactly. you know, and that think, makes I you think, happy. You know, bear, bear and wild boar, you know, really great example that like everyone wants a big, huge monster bear, but you know, they're full of worms most of the time, yeah. right? From eating, you know, you know, like salmon on the side of the river yeah. that's rotting. So it's, yeah, uh, it'll do it. you know, like, uh, you know, a good 150 pound, 200 pound bear, it's a great eating bear, um, you know, compared to, you know, three or 400 pound monster that's, that's full of parasites. So what a, what a, I've been called that by the way, what do you, what do you think about the nose to tail eating scenario like people that are mm -hmm. saving the kidneys and the liver and the heart like what yeah. do you do you get into any of that do you have any advice for someone that may be interested in trying yeah yeah totally so um i love it number one um at antler you know we talked about earlier i had the back leg of the deer so we buy whole whole animals from the farmer um and you know for me that's that's the fun part is is using those off cuts that you know not necessarily a lot of people like or they're not really sure what to do with so um the heart is one of my favorite cuts actually and it, you can really treat it like a tenderloin steak um huh. I, I just slice it horizontally into you know into rounds okay. uh, like an inch thick or so and just uh the same thing hit it what we talked about with the back strap 
Um, you just want to quickly fry it in a pan and get get like a nice brown crust on either side. Um, salt, pepper is really all you need, but any you know spice blend you like, you can put on there. Um, and uh, it is the most one of the most tender pieces of meat on the animal, and I, I have no idea why, because it's probably you know it's the most worked so muscle doing something. of yeah. that animal, right? And it's um, but the trick with the heart um, and the and the liver um, is you don't want to overcook it, so they really taste like iron uh, uh, when, when it's overcooked and it's, you know, not very pleasant. So, you know, a medium rare is probably the most you'd want to eat it. I assume on the heart, you're trimming out the valves and the stuff that. Yeah. So if there's any kind of big gnarly, uh, fatty, um, you know, the cartilage and the, the valves in the middle at the, the top are really thick towards the tip at the you know bottom of the heart. There's not really a whole lot of those, uh, big ventricles and, and, you know, gnarly white veins in there. And more towards the top, and then yeah, I just cut them out. Our guy Chris Warner, he works for Dad's Construction Company now, and he he's <laughs> every deer that they used to Dad used to have a, a big weekend where during the muzzleloader season, his construction crew would come in and we we'd try to harvest as many does and help his sure. buck to doe population, and he'd take every heart with him, every single heart. Oh, he, yeah. yeah, it was like his favorite thing. <laughs> he, you know, I'm pretty sure he fries them. I don't know if he pan fries them or deep fries or how, how he makes them, but uh, every yeah. Hearts, like, that, that, that's right yeah he, he, there was a couple of years there where you got a lot of hearts <laughs> so. that's when you hope you don't get pulled over on your way yeah, yeah. home <laughs> like, that's the guy's got yeah, a bag got, of hearts <laughs> you got tags for all those hearts right. there. Yeah. <laughs> well, um yeah you know I'd, I'd be that guy it's, it's definitely one of my favorite cuts so what about liver like i i'm not it's been a long time since I've tried it, but it's a mm-hmm. huge organ and I yeah. feel bad every time when I'm taking the awful out and putting it yeah. out in the backfield. Coyotes got to eat yeah. too. They do. Yeah. It's awfully nutritious, yeah. but like, how do you make, if, if you're not, I, I, and maybe there's no answer here. If you're just not a liver yeah. fan, there's no way to make it palatable, but what, yeah. what's the best practice there? Um, so same thing. You like, you want to clean it up. Um, there can be lots of big gnarly veins in them as well. Um, so those you can kind of cut and trim out. Um, and then the same thing. So uh, you don't want to overcook it. Um, you can actually brine the liver too or put it into uh, milk is a kind of a neat trick. Okay. Like the enzymes in the milk um, draw out some of the blood and some of that kind of uh, livery taste to it. Um, and so you can soak it in milk overnight and then pat it dry before you, you slice it and cook it. And then use the um, milk for cereal the next morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, then, um, and then the, the neat trick with liver, like, you know, the classic liver and onions, um, you want to caramelize the onions really well to bring out the sugar. So, uh, you know, stew them on a low temperature first until they look like mush. White uh, onions, yellow you, onions? White onions, you know, the big, huge Spanish onions, any, any kind of onion. Um, but it takes hours to do it properly. And, and you cook it really slow until it's like a, it looks like a pan of soup. And then what you do is you turn it on really high and almost, uh, you know, when that's when you get that deep, dark brown color. Um, and it's just so sweet. Um, so that or or like a, a jam or jelly or any kind of compote, um, you know, blackberries or blueberries, whatever's in season. Yeah. Um, cook those in a little pot with some sugar and a little touch of vinegar um, and then put that over the liver um, as, as a sauce because the, the, the fruit and sweetness goes really, uh, really pairs well with that, that flavor of, of game i don't know how he's managed to do it but he managed to make it sound tasty <laughs> right. go kill a deer this weekend just for the liver huh well huh? so um, you know as you as you at, at your place of business there are you making these types of things 
I mean, is that that's some of the stuff that you put on the menu, you know, that day? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we don't get a lot of the livers. Um, you know, for for whatever reason, sometimes the farmer uh, includes them with the animals. Sometimes they don't. So I don't know. Um, I know like the uh, the slaughterhouse or the abattoir where he's taking it. They don't let us keep um, the brain, so we never get the head of the animal. And I think they use it for testing for CWD. Sure. And I think sometimes the organs too get get taken. Yeah. Um, as well. So losing my AirPods here, so uh, they're dying on me. Um, Um, but, uh, yeah, so when we do get the liver, we, we do feature it as an appetizer with, you know, the caramelized onions and the fruit, uh, compotes, or, uh, we actually grind it up and use it in some of our, uh, terrines and pâtés, um, which is, you know, a little more tricky, uh, you know, things to work with, but, uh, a really great way to use, use that stuff too. So as someone gets your cookbook and they're, you know, your average guy lives in Mississippi, whatever, and he gets the yeah. cookbook, is it, is it, are they doable, doable type of 100%. things that absolutely Johnny so, Joe Redneck can do and, yeah. and still like, make it know, taste good? I, I wanted this book to be uh, approachable to everybody. Uh, you know, I didn't want it to scare anybody off. So, you know, there's, there's a game burger recipe, there's a chili recipe, there's a lasagna recipe, like, you know, really you know, basic stuff, but just to kind of maybe give some people some ideas or different sort of techniques on how to, how to cook those things. Um, but then I, you know, I do a really cool dish with uh, turkey where it's just the, the ovals. So it's, mm. it's the turkey gizzard, the heart and the liver, and it's a dish just with that. So, you know, there's some kind of different uh, fun things to try, um, you know, but then there's, you know, really easy approachable stuff, you know, for everybody that it's not going to, you know, scare anybody scare off. off. Yeah. I need to get my hands on this cookbook. <laughs> well, one of the things that, that I, that I'm a little intimidated by is the whole concept of sous vide. Right. Okay. I've heard incredible things and I've yeah. seen some guys do some redneck sous vide cookers, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, the thing that's intimidating is that you're, you're so close to writing that line of kind of a safe, food temperature yeah danger zone <laughs> yeah right yeah, i'd prefer not to be throwing up my yeah, entire yeah, yeah. innards so after. explain it a little bit i know what you're talking about okay. but for, for anybody in the audience that doesn't know what you're talking about yeah and so michael i'm sure you, you do a much more comprehensive job but it's essentially slow temperature cooking a piece of meat yeah. in a vacuum over a longer yeah. period of time like 140 yeah. degrees ish is that is that about right yeah, I actually do it lower than that. So the health inspectors don't like it. Uh, I can't imagine. Because of, uh, you know, because of the newer technology and some of the new machines that are coming out, it's they're affordable for everybody. Like the, the sous vide circulator uh, machines used to be like over $1,000, uh, even these little ones. So I think now now it's becoming more approachable for home cooks to, to try. Um, and I think it's really just, you know, as long as that meat is, uh, has been handled properly, you know, after you've shot it, it's into the fridge as quickly as possible. It's, it's pretty safe. You know, some of these recipes where they have you doing stuff overnight, I, or, you know, for 24 hours or whatever, I, I shy away from those, at least if they're a low temp, you know, if you're doing something overnight, you know, it should be over 165, you know, just in my opinion. Um, uh, so I only do it for a couple of hours. Like if you're sous vide a steak. You know, you don't, you don't need to do it longer than, than a couple hours. So, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, bacteria that you can, you know, grow in that amount of time that will okay. really going to hurt you. Um, it's, yeah, these like, you know, 36-hour short rib recipes that are in a, in a sous vide bag at a tepid temperature. I wouldn't 
do those. Okay. <laughs> Just give me the oven, like you know, everybody else. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't think it really uh, makes that much of a improvement, you know, if those thirty-six hour sous vide recipes. Uh, than just doing it in a, in a crock pot. Okay. So, All right. So yeah. it may not be worth the, the time. No, you know, a lot of times it's not, it's not worth it, but um, it's it definitely, it, it, you know, it, it's, they're fun to play with. Um, you know, in, in the professional kitchen, I find we're going through a lot of plastic and I, I just think it's not really, you know, needed the, the, um, the benefit of, of, of doing it isn't really, it doesn't really justify the effort and the amount of plastic I'm throwing out to, sure. to, to do it all the time. But there's some recipes that it definitely makes a difference. Cause it's, I mean, I feel like I've seen people on Facebook share this is kind of a redneck version of it, where it's just like a, almost like a big Tupperware that they've shoved some sort of. Usually it's, it's, it's like a, like an igloo cooler or something that yeah. kind of keeps the heat in yeah. that water and circulate just, just warmer, 140 100 you know whatever the temp they want it at and it just circulates mm -hmm. within there and what's the thing that they're sticking to, i mean to heat it up what's the what's that that, that that's that's some they need some kind of element because your your tap water is probably not going to be hot enough but that's the redneck part of it is right figuring out what you're going to use to heat the water yeah who's putting yeah who's putting the hair dryer in there <laughs> <laughs> the heat gun propped up over top or something yeah. <laughs> seems uh, seems legit all right i'm gonna yeah. steer clear of this one <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah good yeah. idea well, michael what about um the the concept of aging your meat because because a lot of us yeah. are kind of in a hurry want to get the yeah. deer in hung up deboned yeah. and then in the fridge uh, you know, we're approaching cooler temperatures now and it's getting below 40 at night. Um, nice. Just some general concept for people if, if they want to try aging their deer. Yeah. Um, the only thing that, that you can risk doing, especially with deer, is drying it out a lot because it doesn't have that fat on it. Yeah. So, you know, you can hang it with the skin on, um, the fur on, and then, but I find it's really hard to then get the fur off. So it's a lot harder to skin that deer after it's been hanging for a week or two um, in, the, in the cooler. Um, so definitely, you know, you can hang it skin on, you know, uh, a week or two is, is great. Um, what I do, um, is, you know, I generally hang it overnight or skin it, uh, hang it overnight. And then, um, actually I'll break it down and then, uh, you know, vac wet aging it in a vacuum bag, um, huh. works great. You can keep it in the fridge uh, a couple weeks in the vacuum bag before you freeze it. Um, I find, and then you, you don't really dry it out, but I, I think it does, it definitely does make a difference to age it a little bit, at least a week. Okay. Um, you know, it, it does make uh, the eating it, it, it does tenderize the meat quite a bit more. And what is your target temperature in the fridge as you're wet aging it? Um, so the health standards are um, in between. Um, I'm, we're in Celsius here, so it's zero degrees and four. So that'd be like 32 is your freezing and uh, 40. I, I guess maybe four, I, you know, I should know the Fahrenheit, but I, I forget. So it, it's, it's, it's generally like, you know, a couple degrees above freezing. Yeah. Um, is, and it's what your commercial fridges at home or sorry, your residential fridges at home. There's there, they come set to that, uh, that range. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned the danger zone. So that's like, you know, the, the food world terminology of, of professional kitchens is, you know, outside of that fridge temperature is anything outside of that's considered, you know, danger zone. So. Don't, it's as close to freezing as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, the, the times that, that I've taken the time to age, the, age my venison, I have found it to be much more flavorful, much more flavorful and yeah. uh, tender. 
Because yeah. like a, yeah. a lot of that connective tissue is kind of broken down inside. I know Forrest at, up at Dad's place, he does that a lot with those, the back straps or whatever, yeah. tenderloins, yeah. and they'll they'll do the wet aging a lot. And yeah. uh, the, Dad always brags about how, how tender and tasty it is. It's good. Mm-hmm. And I, I've done a lot of dry aging, and, and, and Michael's right. Like, you end up carving off a lot of – it kind of it turns into like a bark on the exterior yeah. of the cut. So you're, you're wasting yeah. that, which, which kind of stinks, but – yeah, I mean, especially for like things like deer that are so lean, you know, unless there's got a lot of the, the fat along the back strap you can kind of leave on or, you know, aging it on the bone. So if you kind of cut, you know, uh, behind the neck and, and, you know, to the hip and leave it on the bone, um, you don't dry out the bottom part because then you cut it off the, the ribs. Um, so that's kind of a neat trick you can do if you have the space is to, yeah. to age it on the bone. But again, like anything over a week, I find you just really dry it out. Gotcha. So, you know, a week's okay. And even like a steak overnight in the fridge, you, you dry out some of that moisture and it, you just sort of intensify the flavor, um, which is kind of neat. So, you know, don't, you don't feel like you have to do it for weeks and weeks and weeks. You can do it for a couple of days. Okay. You know, and it's still, it, you lose some of that moisture and concentrate the flavor. So, so what's the biggest mistake that your average guy makes in preparing, whether it's in the field, you know, after he harvests it or whether it's in the kitchen, what's the biggest mistake someone typically makes and what, what would you do to kind of rectify that? Um, you know, I think it's just, you know, getting the guts out as quickly as possible. Um, you know, trying not to nick any, any of those, uh, those guts, you know, that makes a big difference. Um, you know, shot, shot placement, (laughs) you know, if you shot the guts, you're, you're shit out of luck. (laughs) (laughs) We have that uh, same saying in the United States. (laughs) We've all been there. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, it happens, uh, you know, and if that happens, just wash it out as fast as you can. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, like biggest, there's just so many things along the way that can go wrong. And I think really just cooling it down as fast as you can is really, you know, number one, um, you know, and then, and then from there, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, overcooking it. I think, you know, those primal cuts, those steaks, you know, try not to overcook that stuff. And then, um, for braising things, like one of my favorite cuts is the neck. Um, it has like a beef cheek kind of stickiness to it. I find when you, when you braise a deer neck, uh, and pick the, like, do like pulled pork, but kind of with the deer neck, it, I don't know what happens in that pot, but it's just like magical at the end. So, um, there's some cool recipes in my book for, uh, for deer neck. Um, and I, you know, a lot of guys just grind it up, you know, cut it off and grind it. But if you, if you cut it, um, into chunks and cook it on the bone, it's, uh, it's pretty tasty. Tim's next meal. I already see his wheels turning. Yeah. <laughs> that seems yeah. like something so, right up your alley. So you say cook it's it so on the good. The neck bone? is like so good. So so you're so the vertebrae are in are inside. Yeah. You just like They're a still, cylinder. So I just cut it into like chunks. Um, you need to do a hacksaw, even a cleaver, just bang through it. Um, and uh, oh. you know if if C, CWD or whatever is a big issue in your area, maybe you don't want to do that. Um, for me, you know, we don't have, uh, there's actually been no wild cases where I live. So, okay. um, it's something where, you know, I, I still cook it on the, on the spine for those neck, neck pot roasts. But, um, yeah, if there's something you're worried about, you can take it off, but it, it has, I don't know what quality it has, but it's, it's like a beef cheek. I don't know if you've ever had stewed beef cheeks. It has like a fatty stickiness to the meat, huh. which is uh, really tasty. I'm going to go to deer camp and I start stealing people's hearts and their necks. Where'd my neck go? <laughs> a real psycho out here. <laughs> I think I'm a kidney short too. What's going on with that? Um, one thing I, I would want to mention too is a, is a sawzall. It's like the best investment, uh, you know, yeah. to butcher your meat. Um, 
one thing that, you know, a lot of guys don't use is the shanks. Uh, and, you know, cut those shanks in like two inch pieces uh-huh. um, and cook them on the bone. And that bone marrow gets into your, your braised kind of sauce. Uh, and it's just just amazing. I'd like to ter- say, I mean, if I, I already butcher the deer, yeah. you give me a sawzall, this thing. Brandon's we're going to come in like, there's a bunch of bones and necks <laughs> in this pot. What there wouldn't this? be much of anything <laughs> if I had a sawzall in my hands. I think there's yeah. an ear in there too. Maybe an eyeball. But, hey, you'll be surprised, man. You'll, you know, try some of these things out and, uh, and and, you know, you, you'll change people's minds. Like I remember when I first started hunting with some guys and we were turkey hunting and they look over and they're like, what the hell is this guy doing? And I, I found this patch of morels while we're, and I'm on my hands and knees picking morels. These guys thought I was crazy. And now like, you know, 10, 15 years later, there's big, huge articles about foraging morels and, you know, people <laughs> are hunting for them as, you know, like they're when they're hunting for turkey and, yeah. uh, you know, and all it takes is, you know, trying these things out a couple of times and, yeah, no, morels. I'm on. I'm on board with that. Expanding your horizons. No, no, that one's been a mainstay for a long time. You need to yeah. get you some chanterelles. I think you'll like chanterelles. Too. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> what about deer bone dust? You know, you're talking about taking a sawzall, going through yeah. the bone. I've heard terrible things about deer bone. Frag, mm. like not fragments, but just the the powder kind of getting in it, the taste is bad. Is is there is there really a danger to that? Like, is it really that bad? I don't think so. Like when I, you know, I think if you're using the right blade, it shouldn't really be an issue. Um, you know, if, if if you do get a bunch of dust, um, you can just wipe it off with a wet kind of cloth or rinse it off if you if you have to. Okay. Um, but yeah, I haven't. Uh, you know, all, a lot of our our stuff we do at the restaurant, we do with a sawzall. Gotcha. Uh, we get the deer in hole, you know, to take, uh, we do some cuts with the ribs and stuff and it, it makes a big, uh, big, big difference anyway, going through it with the sawzall. Well, I'm fascinated by call fat. I've mm-hmm. never harvested it Neat. myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, but maybe help explain what, what that is and how it, what yeah. the applicate the, the cooking applications are. For sure. So, uh, the call fat is a really thin membrane. It looks like a spider web kind of a tissue. Um, and it's, it's, it's like a stomach lining surrounding the whole stomach. So when you cut, um, uh, you know, from the guts up to the rib cage of your deer, um, you can kind of pull it away. Um, uh, it's, it's sort of the first thing underneath the skin surrounding the stomach. So you gotta, it's you gotta be kind of careful trying to, trying to harvest it. It can be kind of tricky to, to get it off the animal. Um, and it's actually something you can buy from the butcher. So we, we actually buy at the restaurant, we buy it. Uh, and it's usually either um, pork or lamb call fat, mm-hmm. uh, and they come in like little one pound packages. So, um, you know, if, if, if you mess it up or you make a mess of your deer, you can actually just buy it from the butcher uh, to experiment with it. And then when you harvest your animal, then you'll kind of see it be like, oh, that's what it looks like. I, I get it now. Because um, it's really, you know, it's huge. It's a huge piece yeah. and it just surrounds the whole stomach. Um, and then the cooking application for it is really, you know, anything where you'd want to wrap something in bacon, uh, you can wrap it in call fat. So all your game birds, upland stuff, pheasant, quail, whatever, um, you know, if you're skinning those birds, as opposed to plucking them, you wrap, wrap it in the fat. Um, the other thing you do, you can use it to, to like roll up, uh, a turkey breast or roll up uh, a pheasant breast, you know, you can pound it out put some mushroom stuffing or goat cheese stuffing or something in that, in that breast meat and then wrap it up and, and roll it Jeez. in the call fat to kind of hold it all together. Um, <laughs> is a neat, and then, you know, then it's not bacon, you know, and it just, you know, bacon, then everything tastes like bacon call fat. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that bacon flavor, but it gives you that same fatty effect and moisture of, 
keeping it all together. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a great tool. It's a great kind of trick, uh, up your sleeve, um, uh, when cooking, you, you can even wrap your back straps in it if you want to kind of give it that extra fat on the outside. You better up your game, Tim. <laughs> I, no, You're no, pretty basic right what now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to write, I'm going to write a, a hunting cookbook like Michael's only mine. You'll open it up and there'll be two words inside. It'll say zesty Italian. <laughs> Cause that's the other, like that, you know, we, we talked jokingly a little bit about everything tasting like bacon. It seems like the move that everyone does. And I'm guilty of this. A lot of times is I'll just marinate everything in zesty Italian and then boom, it's, you know, turn it out. But there's a lot more moves than just zesty Italian. Dressing. You're offending our guests. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get, take hey, his man, white glove off. I'm not, uh, I'm not a food snob by any means. Um, you know, one of my favorite recipes is uh, walleye and fish crisp on a Wonder Bread bun with Frank's Bam. hot sauce. Bam, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like it's a, you, a good duck blind meal. Yeah, right no there. Doubt. <laughs> Do you ever take the cheeks off a walleye? Um, if they're big enough, sure. You know, yeah. absolutely. And if you're getting a lot of them, you know, if you're getting, you know, a bunch of guys and there's a whole bunch of fish, um, absolutely. You know, why not try and use, try and use everything? You know, if I'm catching one, while I, you know, a lot of times I'll just grill. If you grill a thing whole, you can just pick it off. When it's sure. Yeah. I, I, I cut an eight pounder up in Sturgeon Bay in, in Wisconsin. And this, the, there was a guy at the, at the, the resort we were staying at and he was watching me fillet and he, he like lived there. He fished yeah. all the time. He had never taken the cheeks off a walleye before. And, oh, you wow. know, on an eight pounder, that's a, those yeah. are pretty big cheeks. Big, it's like, yeah. it's almost like a scallop there yeah. in, you know just that chunk of meat there there's so many overlooked pieces of, of meat yeah. that we just kind of we just think backstraps and you know whatever you're yeah. like our miniature version of meat eater Pretty, yeah <laughs> i get i get that a lot i get like tim you're you're just like cam haynes only worse or you're just like steve ranella <laughs> only not as good it's <laughs> always you shoot a like ronnie Millsap. <laughs> there's always a clarifier like just <laughs> right. we just don't like you're you the poor man's version of x <laughs> <laughs> that's me. So, so Michael, um, it, it's interesting because somehow you, you crafted a book, like a whole cookbook, but you're a hunter. You're an outdoorsman. I, I yeah. didn't think that we were supposed to be intelligent enough to be able to string words together. So that's congratulations. <laughs> um, you know, I did my best. We had the, the help of, uh, of an editor and a writer and somebody to help me, you know, kind of write the stories and essays and, uh, you know, fix all my cliches and grammatical errors and stuff like that. So, yeah. Everyone uh, needs that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a uh, humbling, uh, you know, to realize when you see people crossing out all your stuff in red, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a cliche, you know, it's, you don't have to say, I think, cause it's your book. Like everyone knows it's you talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it was, uh, it was definitely a challenging uh, aspect of the book. So how many recipes are in the actual cookbook? So I'll, uh, I'll show you guys here. I don't, it, might, it might be backwards, but uh, it's, uh, it's uh, the Hunter Chef Cookbook, Hunt, Fish, and Forage in over 100 Recipes. Um, there's a, a large game section, small game section, uh, fish and foraged, and then uh, cocktails and desserts. So we do some neat stuff, uh, you know, with sumac and uh, cedar and pine and things that we can infuse into desserts or uh, cocktails. Nice. 
Yeah. Now you got my interest. Two things mm. I'm passionate about. I want to make use yeah. of deer hair cocoa. Dessert and Dude, we, cocktails. Uh, we, put, uh, we put venison jerky into a, a whiskey cocktail. It was Holy neat. cats. Nice. Uh, we marinated the venison jerky, I think, in Drambuie and then use that to garnish uh, like an old-fashioned type cocktail. Sweet. I don't even yeah. know what Drambuie is, but it sounds <laughs> it's cool. It's like a sweet liqueur. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> now you're in my arena, Tim. <laughs> you to talk alcohol. <laughs> How's it feel to feel stupid? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a normal day, I guess. <laughs> um, so where's the best place for, uh, place for people to get the book, Michael? Um, anywhere books are sold. So you can go to my website, thehunterchef.com. Uh, there's links to Amazon, Indigo, Chapters, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million, uh, you know, anywhere, any, any of these online shops or, uh, you know, your local bookstore may have it. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for doing this. I, I think it's important. Like we need to find ways as the hunting community to, 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 kind of bring ourselves into the mainstream and people are mm -hmm. concerned about where their food is coming from. They're concerned about yep. sustainability and those yep. are, we have answers for those things. And I think if we can come alongside the mainstream zeitgeist and say, Hey, we, we we've been doing and saying these things for years, yeah. we're not, not going to wag our finger and say, I told you so, but we're going to say, Hey, you know, maybe being an outdoorsman, maybe being a hunter is not such an outlandish thing and it's not as crazy as it seems. When, when you talk to like anti-hunters about the food aspect of it, then all of a sudden like they get it, you know? And it's funny, like people just think we're out there to shoot animals for fun and put their antlers on the wall. And it's, it's there's this whole other side of, of hunting that people don't even know, they don't think about, you know, they don't even know it's against the law to, to not, use the meat of that animal yeah. like yeah you know in, in canada and i know the united states too there's laws against you know wasting uh you know you can't just shoot a deer and cut its head off and leave it in the field like you go to jail and, and people, waste. Don't, people don't know that so i think it really the book is uh, is a great way to sort of educate you know the non-hunting community that you know we're passionate about the food side of it and, and where our food's coming from and you're coming along in, a, in an interesting time in society where sustenance is becoming a, a big topic again the field the field the fork lifestyle and organic and you know even during the pandemic you know the the kind of the height of it in the spring when all of a sudden there's a bit of a shortage at the grocery the stores or you know all of a sudden i i think you're resonating the timing's probably really great in, in that aspect and I'm sure, but you know, as far as the restaurant went, you were hitting that that audience too. And and yeah. now with the cookbook here in this given time, I think it's just really uh, the perfect storm for you in a lot of ways, honestly. Thank you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was laughing to myself when people are hoarding toilet paper. Like I stocked up on uh, jerry cans of gas and ammo, and that was about <laughs> it. We had everything else. Yeah, you're like two freezers full, and we were good. So yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, we we got some stuff that we're gonna go through, or question of the day, and some shout outs. You you're free to stay on with us and 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 sure, help yeah, us. Man, I'd love to. All right, so. Tim, what first? Where should we go? Let's let's jump into shout outs. Uh, so we appreciate when people reach out to us and give us feedback on the show, good or bad, or somewhere in between. Uh, we especially appreciate podcast reviews. So whatever podcast app you're listening on, go ahead, drop us a rating and review. And, and we, share it. We may, Yeah, yeah, please do share the show. There, there are a lot of people that are like, I didn't realize Jury Outdoors had a show, or I thought it ended back in 2018 when Mark Kenyon divested. <laughs> it's like, well, it kind of ended. It did. It the went the downhill for ended. sure. You know, I was listening to the Working Class Bowhunter podcast with mm -hmm. Mark on it, and he said that their podcast is his favorite podcast. 
They were even like, don't you have a podcast? Probably not lying. I'm like, bam. Yeah, but I still like your guys' best. <laughs> yes, ours sucks. <laughs> so on, uh, on, uh, so the Redneck bow hunter, spelled with a C, on Apple left us uh, a review, and it's titled, Y'all Are Awesome. It said, one of the few podcasts that I never miss an episode. Keep up the great content. Hope it stays that way for a long time. It may not. Started listening to the podcast a few weeks ago, and I love it. Lots of great info. DeerCast is great also. Been using it for a couple seasons now. Just need to upgrade to premium to get the 10-day forecast. Also, thanks to Matt for the response on Instagram about my analogics. Yeah, this guy. Thank you. My new favorite guy. All right, next one's Jeff Novak. This summer is the most that I've watched, listened to your podcast, and damn wish I had been doing it for years. Yeah, man, get on the train. We're rolling along. <laughs> <laughs> and that specific piece of uh, uh, Jeff Jeff shoots us messages all the time. We appreciate him listening. That was specifically in reference to the podcast we did on intrusion. And he's like, man, after I listened to that show, I started realizing all the stuff I'd been doing wrong over yeah. the years. And as a result of, of that show, he said that they're seeing more mature bucks on their property now because they're not going in and spooking these deer like they had in the past. Look at Jeff. All nice right. Job, Jeff. All right. Next piece of business. Question of the day. Question of the day. All right. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Plano Hunting Cases. Protect your passion. Should I be shooting large mature does or younger does to help control and balance our deer population and get it more back in balance as far as buck to doe ratio. I should have mentioned that uh, that's from Pat Powers. Yeah, and that it's a great question, and it's one that I struggle with all the time because I when I first jumped on my lease, it, it didn't need any – I didn't need to do any doe management. It needed to just kind of – be, it needed to be managed in general from a, a food plots and, and sure. deer habitat. Exactly. And now we're to the point where the browse pressure on my food plots is I'm finally starting to experience some of the stuff that Mark and Terry talk about a lot on their farms. Yeah. And uh, it's a real kind of quandary that I'm in because it's far enough away from my house. I don't have a setup that I've talked about before. I don't really have a great setup to, to deal with the animal once I've harvested it. So, you know, to, to, um, you know, Michael's point about making sure you take care of it right away and get the cuts out. That's not a problem, but it's then hanging it up, deboning it and doing all that. I just don't have really anywhere to go with it. And in the early season like this, I'd love to be shooting more does. And I say it every year that I'm going to do it this year, but we've had every opportunity so far. And I haven't last night would have been a great one when every deer was blowing at us. Yeah, (laughs) Shoot the ones that are blowing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, in general, what I would say is, and I've seen, from Mark and Terry's perspective, it probably depends on deer density, but I would think that going after the most mature does is, is always your best bet for several reasons. One being that getting the most mature doe out of the herd, you're there's those from a hunter's perspective, those are less opportunities for you to get caught while hunting. You know, they're dropping the experience level. Yeah. They're so savvy. If you watch when does come out in the field and young bucks come out to the field or even fawns, the fawns, young bucks, they're almost, I mean, they're juvenile. They're, they're, they're almost, they're not dumb, but they haven't had that experience yet. A doe comes out and she's bobbing and weaving when she's coming out, you know, you're screwed. You, You know what I mean? Like they are just really savvy. And I've, I've been, um, I've, I've had more does kind of blow and, and bust up a hunt than I've had mature bucks. I mean, you mm-hmm. see more does than you see mature bucks, or at least sure. I do. They're no slouches. But 
usually if you can pass the test of, of the mature doe, the mama, you, you have a really good chance of passing the test when the buck comes out Agreed. is what I've, yeah. what I've come to know. Yeah. So Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the mature, you know, the mature does would probably be the, uh, the prime suspect for me. Um, you know, where I hunt, it's, uh, I don't think we have a, a population uh, that needs to be managed quite as well as, as, as you guys do. Sure. So, um, I, I don't think we have an abundance of does, you know, here we have to actually apply for a doe tag just to shoot one. Um, so it's uh, you know, it's, it's a little different up here. Um, you know, the further we, we actually have, we have a huge uh, coyote problem where I am. So um, they're pretty hard uh, on our deer population. Yeah. And, you know, every time we get a deer on our camera, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour later, there's a coyote and they're just, they're pushing them a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and a, a lot of people are in that same boat, uh, just from a biological standpoint, those mature does can drop two or three fawns in a year. Not so much the yearling doe that just came into estrus late in that year and, and got bred. She's probably going to drop one fawn. So just a, if you're just going to play the numbers game, definitely mature doe is the way to go. Well, and you've always heard those studies, you know, back in the 90s, 2000s, where they're talking about a, a, a mature doe will kind of kick out the buck, the young yearling bucks kind of off the property out of the area. You, have you ever heard that before? No. And, and so if you take out the doe, your, your chances of the buck sticking Stay. around huh. are higher. Okay. You know, I, I don't know if that's been refuted since then, but I've always remembered, especially in the early two thousands, hearing that study and hearing Mark and Terry talk about that and kind of weaning, it kind of wean them and, I mean, and it makes sense and push them off. So, sure. yeah. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, speaking of wildlife, biology your mind's about to be blown here michael <laughs> and a segment welcome. that is hit or miss <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the wildlife word that's right it's brought to you by hunter specialties makers of the comprehensive sent away line of scent elimination products all right this week's wildlife word is getting a little meteorological a little bit it's gibbous is gibbous a a type of primate known for throwing their own feces B, moon phase, where more than half of the viewable moon is sunlit. C, the last name of the brothers in the 70s band, the Bee Gees. Or D, a gland in a whitetail that causes them to stop just before entering a shooting lane. I actually know this one, but we're going to let the guest go first. What do you got? <laughs> Sorry, what was the question again? Ah! <laughs> you repeat those. <laughs> the, the wildlife word is gibbous. Awesome. Gibbous. Yeah, is, is it a type of primate known for throwing its own feces? Yeah. A moon phase where more than half the viewable moon is sunlit. I'm going to say moon phase. I'm going moon phase. All right. You got it. So, Heck yeah. More importantly, I want to know where we lost yet. <laughs> it about, happens, believe the me. The part about where you yeah. th said the things about the things, that yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, the prize, um, oddly enough, is a signed copy of, uh, of the book. That, that Tim just, wrote, that one where it had one page. <laughs> Zesty Italian. The Hunter Chef Cookbook, Hunt, Fish, and Forage, and over 100 recipes. All right. Congratulations. 
Awesome. Thanks. So I would love to, if you were up for this, I'd love to be able to get a copy to give away to, you know, a couple of our listeners. That would be great. I mean, be able to do a giveaway and and, uh, maybe the next question of the day or or something like that. Yeah. So we'll we'll split it up. If if someone leaves us some feedback on the, like a review on the podcast, their name goes into a hat and or if you send us a question of the day. Boy, you're being pretty liberal with giving books away, Tim. You know what they say? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. Oh, man. I don't know what that saying means. I just always say, you know what they say, oh, and then right. leave it at that. All right. <laughs> Michael, we're going to link up uh, link up the your website so people can get a hold of you. And awesome. If you're ever in downtown Thanks, Toronto... I was going to leave that cricket sound effect go for like until you stop talking. I'm amazed that we haven't heard the fart sound effect. Well, I didn't want to do it with a nice esteemed guest on a a writer of books, leather bound books, books. (laughs) also known as an author. Yes. (laughs) We're not good. We like to have fun. Guys, thank you so much for having me. This was uh, this was a blast, and uh, I, re- I really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you. We appreciate it. Look forward to seeing a, a version of the cookbook and trying to not suck in the kitchen. <laughs> that, that would be a real goal for me. The saga me. continues. Awesome. Well, anytime you guys have questions, let me know. I'll, uh, I'll see if I can do uh, I'm good. I'm going to hit you up on that. I appreciate the guys at Mossy Oak for connecting us. I know you're good friends with, with Daniel and those guys and, and Neil. You so yeah. You know, the whole Mossy Oak family, they've, they've been so supportive with this book. So Yeah. Yeah. So we appreciate them connecting us, Jake Meyer, and uh, it's been great. Yeah. We appreciate you. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Good luck with your season out there. And uh, hopefully you got nothing but five-star reviews. Oh, wow. Hey. Yeah. We should just quit. All right, let's do it. And see. <laughs> All right, till next time. Peace out. See ya. Take care, guys. Every hunt starts with a game plan, like knowing when and what to plant. So get DeerCast and get ahead of your game.